Hey there. The next Bound and Determined Live featuring guests from this season on the podcast is coming up. Head on over to adjunctadvisors.com forward slash events to learn more. Hope to see you there. Welcome to another episode of Bound and Determined. I'm your host, Meg McKean. This conversation marks the last episode of this season of the podcast. It has been a total delight sharing stories from Katie, Alyssa, Mercy, Jen, Liz, Amanda, Nicole, and today, Mary Claire. I'll be back to kick off season eight on a date sometime in the future. You know I take my breaks seriously. While I'm away, please keep listening. Share your favorite conversation with a friend or a colleague. Let me know if there's someone you'd like to hear from on the podcast. And thank you in advance for leaving your five-star review over on iTunes. You are the best. Now, let's get to know Mary Claire McGraw. MC is the co-founder of MCJ Partners. She's an operations coach who focuses on helping independent insurance agencies take a mindful approach to streamlining their operations and improving how they utilize technology. As a burnt-out insurance professional turned entrepreneur, it's just one of the many things MC and I have in common. MC is very open about her own struggles with mental health because while everyone's journey is different, she believes that awareness can begin to break down stigma. MC, I am so proud to know you and to call you my friend. Off we go. Let's let's just do it. Let's see what kind of magic we can create, huh? Yeah? I love it. I love it. Yeah. You're such a good sport. Um, my friend, so we've had a bit of like perhaps more than any other, a bit of a scheduling, I'll say challenge, just because you have been tied up for the last yes, little bit. And I would say love that. We have not caught up. I mean, I know what you were doing, but I would love to hear what you were doing and then also hear the uh overall kind of how that experience was for you. Where have you been? What's going on? Yes. So I can finally talk about it. It was behind closed doors, literally for just over it. What was really two weeks, but in reality, it was eight days of my life. I spent in jury duty and I live in the city of Boston downtown. It was the superior courthouse right in city hall where I've, you know, years ago, been Patriots and Red Sox parades celebrating, but this was a very different different situation. I showed up there. Interestingly enough, my first time on jury duty, I was selected um, to go interview with the judge, you know, or, or they would tell us what the case was about and then dismiss us if we had a conflict. And the first time I went to jury duty was about four years ago while I was working at an independent insurance agency. I went into the courtroom and I found out the defendant in the case was an insurance agency. It was literally an ENO case where there was a divorce. The woman was taken off the husband's policy, was not written a tenant's policy, right? So she didn't have coverage. Sure enough, it was just all the thick Murphy's law. Then there was a fire and all of her property was damaged. So she turned around to sue the agency for not putting coverage in place for her. So um, I immediately am like, this is, I would... <laughs> be very sympathetic to these individuals. So I'm out. This time around, I will say, fortunately, I did not have any any reasons to get out of it. And I sat on a jury for a five-day trial and two full days of deliberation. I would say it was surreal 
and hopefully a once in a lifetime experience. <laughs> like I would prefer not to do it again, but I would never give up the chance to have done what I did for those eight days. So it was pretty unbelievable, Meg. The case actually happened back in 2017. I won't get into all the specifics of really what happened, but the interesting things about it, I will say it was actually some girl on girl crime here. So we had a female defendant and a female victim in our case. It was a criminal trial. The Commonwealth was bringing five different charges against a woman who, in March of 2017, committed an act that caused someone that was her friend at the time to break her leg. She was a pedestrian and actually hit her with her car and broke her leg. There was, at this point, you know, questions about whether or not it was intentional, right? Whether or not she really even meant to hurt her, all those things that came out in the trial. She was now facing a slew of charges for this one incident that changed her whole life six years ago. And me and, you know, these 13 other strangers sat there and listened to over 20 witness testimonies, over 50 pieces of evidence. And we're talking like, you know, law and order, <laughs> the stuff that you dream about, like the cell phone records, the tower pings and the map report and the autopsy photos, like all of the things, you know, unfortunately in this case, this woman who broke her leg passed away three weeks later from blood clots. So her manner of death and cause of death, one of the witnesses was the medical examiner ruled that this needed to be ruled a homicide. And so it was also in some ways, I would not, I mean, I compared it already to Law and Order. I compare it to that show Jury Duty, really. Honestly, it was very accurate, other than obviously the case itself and the comedy. There were, unfortunately, right, you have to, in moments like that, you know, in your life when things unexpectedly fly in your, into your life and you're, it's all on pause to listen to and watch someone relive some of the worst, if not the worst moment of their life. It's amazing how in those moments we really did get to know the other people that were in the same boat that I was in. One actually works in the insurance industry and is an actuary, right? You get to know some things about these people as you're experiencing something that I really never thought I would. But I do truly think that this experience, Meg, came into my life at this time because it now is something that I could handle right? That I could emotionally, personally, physically um, experience and and deal with and uh, move through. And I wasn't even the one, you know, <laughs> I'm just sitting over there next to the jury box, right? Like, not me. I don't mean that to belittle how it may have impacted me. I'm a very empathic, sensitive person, right? When we were in that jury room or in that deliberation room and we we did find this defendant guilty of one of the five charges of a lesser count of one of the lesser level of one of the five counts, but it was heavy. Right. And it, it will involve jail time. I'm sure for this woman with children and regardless of, you know, everything I've saw or whatever may have been said about her. And of course she didn't speak up for herself because in this country, right. We don't, we don't need or expect that person to have to do that the proof is going to have to be what decides all. I think when our group did a fantastic job of really weighing the 
like really with a fine tooth comb looking at what we had seen, what we had heard, but also taking it with the honest belief that we have to go off of what is here, what is true, just not what we each feel or what we think. And, you know, I, I did get emotional in that room. I'm not going to lie when we decided to charge her or to convict her of one of those crimes. And I wasn't the only one. However, I do go back and I do say that I really did feel like it was something that came into my life again at that point when I needed to show up and prove to myself that I could do it really gracefully. And I freaking can't believe it happened. I can't believe it happened, honestly. So I'm happy it's over. I really happy to be on the other side. But like I said, would not have changed a single thing about that, about that experience. Mm. Oh, I love it. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for, for your service. I know we messaged quite a bit back and forth while it was, it was ongoing and we were trying to sort out timing and, and I expressed to you then, and I mean it sincerely, if ever I was on the wrong side of the law, as they say, you're who I'd want to be advocating for what's right. And so I appreciate you being there and that you were part of that experience. And I, I am certain that your fellow Jurors felt the same way because you are fair, yet compassionate, yet logical, yet emotional, and sort of this beautiful amalgamation of the human experience. And I think if I can bring this around, you've been just such a bright light for me. We've had so many little catch-ups and chit-chats, and you showed up for me in a big way in 2022. I was speaking at and emceeing a women's leadership conference in Chicago and you booked a flight and you got yourself there. And it was just so cool to see you there and spend some time with you. And when I asked you this fall, I saw you again in Chicago, you came out to the Insure Equality Summit. You sit on the board again. Thank you for your service. You are like giving and giving. I don't know where you find the resources and the energy to do what you do, but you facilitated a beautiful conversation around the topic of mental health as part of the Insure Equality Summit. And I got to be a little fly on the wall to hear you telling your story, speaking your truth, but really introducing language in the insurance industry that we are just not hearing enough of. I want to thank you for showing up in all the ways that you do, but specifically here for us today so that we can dig into this topic, we've talked about it before. Marissa Rutkowski is a friend of mine. She was on the podcast last season. She's doing some really important work within her organization to start and continue a conversation around mental health. But based on how often this topic is coming up in the individual conversations I'm having, I know that we're not doing enough or we're not speaking out in a way that is really reaching the people that we need to be reaching right now. So there's no question here, just gratitude for you for showing up and sharing with us today. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you. I mean, for everything that you just said, I, I'm really um, honored to know you too and to have stepped into these spaces that have just opened up so many unbelievable doors in my life even professionally, really? I mean, yes, professionally, of course. But I just think of opening doors literally into other parts of my life or myself that I just hadn't met before, you know? And I think that's been, when I said earlier, the things where I just feel I'm more ready is I feel like the analogy as a coach consultant, you know, we love our analogies, right? Yes, so, we do. <laughs> so 
I just picture it like most of the time now when I show up to things, everyone knows the angel and devil little analogy, right? I show up with this like little mini MC that's like the angel version, the one that is kind and mindful and intentional and supportive, not the one that is we all know we have too, right? She's there. She's she's around, but she doesn't show up as much anymore. And, you know, her counterpart totally does. And I think that's a testament to, you know, I just see it reflected back at me and shown to me. Um, it's experienced by me, um, but that didn't always happen, right? And that's something that through my own journey, and I talked about this at the Insure Equality Summit, a lot of what I do now is I love being able to show up, of course, as myself, right? As someone who I know is constantly evolving. And with that little MC on my shoulder, that's just the one that's going to help me kick butt and help people change their perspectives, change their minds, and maybe change their habits. I work in the insurance industry. I have this silly tagline that I love to say that is, I help my clients create operations awareness and cultivate happiness. And that is so true because what I'm trying to do is leverage my own skills, my authenticness that wants to organize things and document things. And I do that to help myself, frankly, in a way. I mean, you've been very vocal about this too, about how we all have things that help us to feel better to cope. One of the things I totally do is, you know, write lists and organize and to-dos and, you know, your good friend and coach Sai Hillman is definitely one of those banging that drum too. Um, but I just exemplify that because creating operations awareness and cultivate happiness, I do that in my own life. I'm constantly doing that. Creating operation awareness is just a fancy way of saying like being mindful, being aware of what you do and what you do are your habits and what your habit. I've heard there's like all those quotes about that, right? James Clear has like the best nuggets. His book, Atomic Habits was one of the turning points for me of like, aha, you know, there's workflows, you know, and I come from the independent agency side. So the word workflow is like this, I don't know, it's the boogeyman, but at the same time, it's like the knight in shining armor. Like it's the thing that's going to save us. We need a workflow. And then in reality, you're like, wait, what do we, let's just, it's easier to just keep on swimming. We're good. Right. And so, or looking under the hood at your workflows or lack thereof can be an extremely scary thing to do. It can be really tough, you know, because you're so close to it. It's so emotional. Aha, uh-huh, there's that word again, which is not a bad thing, right? Emotional and sensitive. That's another thing that's been huge in my mental health journey. And I remember podcasts being an integral part of that was hearing a coach talk about highly sensitive people and how she coaches them. And I'm like, excuse me, what now? <laughs> Record scratch. <laughs> like, that's a thing. And so just... I realized I've created operations awareness about myself that I operate in this world as an extremely sensitive person. And that is a superpower, frankly, which that is also a mindset shift. Yeah. And there you go. Isn't it fascinating that these labels that we've assigned or that we have felt others have assigned to us that maybe we've spent time or tried to diminish or overcome right. or fix or correct or like whatever language we use yes. around that actually become the thing that becomes the differentiator or the reason that people are actually drawn to us instead of away from us. And it is this wild shift in self-acceptance, in awareness, taking up space, believing in yourself. We talk about a lot of those things on the podcast, but I I 
woo, I feel that. And I see it. I see it in you too, which is a really mm-hmm. neat thing. I haven't known you that long, but yeah, to see the, the shift in, this is the way it's supposed to look. And this is the way I want it to look. And I yes. think that's a beautiful differentiation that may feel really subtle to you, but I see it from oh, the yeah. outside. That's such a good point, Meg. I mean, and also I think to build on that too, it's, this is also how I believe it could look or should look without needing to disclaim or say, you know, I understand this may not be your way or this may not be everyone's way. No, I mean, this is frankly my way, right? That's okay. Like, I think we also think just because there's my way, which is really just my idea, my hope, my concept. Um, I, I think that's been something that's definitely held me back, especially in entrepreneurship. i fully believe is I may know my way is a great way. This this way, it's a great way if what you value is what I value, which for me, I think what I value in many ways, one of the things I value is certainty and clarity Mm. and not just in work, but in life, right? And it's a balancing act between doing the thing that helps you be more comfortable with the lack thereof, right? And trying to create certainty and clarity. There's a balance between doing how much of that you need to make yourself feel better and feel good and feel proud. And it's always a balance between maybe not doing it and seeing how you feel anyway and growing a little and being stronger and more comfortable with that lack of certainty. Or I've done this too. Do way much of it create a boatload of manual work for yourself that then makes you miserable, but you did that all to yourself, right? That's what has helped me a lot to embrace and kind of maybe love and laugh at the fact that, yeah, my straight up anxiety is part of what is fueling me to be so good at what I do because, hey, awareness is the key, right? And cultivating happiness can mean so many different things too. That's what I love about that piece is I love that, you know, I think what a lot of what I've been seeing in businesses, especially small businesses or entrepreneurs, we are showing up as our full selves, helping businesses, but they're also people like I see. And I think a lot of my colleagues see businesses as this collective humanity that is such a precious gift that we don't even realize that we've created. We're all just like working. Right. And like, I think that's the beauty of being a consultant sometimes is the way you can really step back and, and be in awe of the amazingness that is this business. If I go way back, insurance is a second career for me. And in a career long ago and far, far away, I worked for a massive like Fortune 100 retail company. And they had, believe me, when you want structure and certainty, right? It was like, I knew what I needed to do on the 12 page rubric to meet or exceed expectations. And I did it. And I did it. And I just climbed that ladder, quote, successfully out of college for four years to get to a level at the top of the ladder, not even the top of the ladder, the middle of the ladder, where I realized I was so comfortable and so happy with all the structure around me. I had forgotten to look up and think about or take my pulse about how I felt or question maybe the habits I was perpetuating, I just literally woke up and I was like in that middle of the rung being like, wait a minute, I don't even want that next step. 
being a mer merchandise buyer and going to, you know, flying LA and New York is the sexiest job ever, but not for MC. <laughs> I realized that I woke up and was just like, wow, I had been all about the organism and like supporting that and like being happy to be a part of that and not really thinking about myself. So I think that I had really lost touch of like the person I was at work and the person I was at home. And, and so I just love now, I guess I tell that really seemingly unrelated anecdote from a while ago, because I just do think it's such a stark contrast to who I am now and who I'm looking to help now. And I think it's just so amazing to see how in the insurance industry, especially there is this huge breadth of both of those worlds the carriers, the the huge companies um, that also have, believe me, don't get me wrong, have amazing individuals and people working for them. And they are, as organisms, are doing amazing, wonderful things to the economy. But then you go all the way down to the gang that I, that I work with day in and day out, the independent agencies. And they have, I talked about the structure from my corporate job. They have none, almost none of that. Right. None of that. And I think for a while I actually was a little, not going to lie, like annoyed at that. <laughs> I'm like, come on, guys, come on. I know you can do this. I believe in you. Um, or maybe annoyed was actually, let's be honest, an accurate word. And then I went through a phase of, oh, I can help. I can help make this right. I can build this. And I realized why they don't have it. Right. They have again, found ways to create happiness for themselves and for others without the need for that. So anyway, now I'm going all in different directions, Meg. But I think the moral of that story really is that I've gone through a lot of different phases and stages of looking at myself as a human being, as a professional, and as both. And it looks and feels different for everyone, especially at different parts of their times of their life. But the more you're just in tune and aware with aware of that and letting it be what it is um, and you are intentional and aware of what you're doing and you know what helps you and what hurts you, it's going to make that lived experience just a lot more enjoyable. Let's be honest. Mm, you went so many directions. So many. That's that's a conversation with MC. Yeah. The, com <laughs> the listeners can't see this, but I'm over here like frantically taking notes because I've had a million <laughs> little sidebar. But first, I, I just want to acknowledge what you just said, and that is the importance of keeping yourself close, keeping your relationship to self really front and center. And it is so easy to put your head down and put your blinders on and do what is in front of you, whether it's professionally or personally, and really lose sight of you and the importance of keeping your relationship with yourself close. And that is a beautiful reminder. I know this episode will be live in mid-January. It's a new year. There's a lot of energy that comes with the new year maybe a lot of promise, maybe a lot of overwhelm, maybe some some feelings about it. And just remembering that none of these systems work if we're not working. And I don't mean the work like we get up and go do in front of our computers all day. It's the work on staying close and true to who we are. So thank you for that, that beautiful reminder. I'm thinking just recently, I shared a post about my decision to stop drinking. It's been a year and I celebrated that milestone over on LinkedIn. And this happens anytime I post about being a nomad, about menopause, about 
infertility, about drinking, anything that frankly has nothing to do with insurance, but everything to do with the human experience. LinkedIn tells me that my profile views skyrocket. So people read the post and then they click my little face and they're like, who is this woman? What does she do? And I know that many of them are severely disappointed when they find out that I'm a consultant in the insurance industry because they're like, wah, wah. like we thought oh. she was going to be this like really cool, whatever. And I'm curious because in talking about the things we're talking about that are not I would argue they're integral in how we show up in the insurance industry. But as a professional, as a consultant, as someone building your own business, when you use that space to build a connection and it's not directly related to the work that you do, because I don't, I don't sell anything related to sobriety or menopause. Like you, you can't hire me to speak about those things. Like they may come up, but I don't have a co I don't have a program. I don't have an offering. What's fascinating to me is that I see you expressing yourself in a similar way. And I don't want to lose sight of you are a consultant. You have a business. You are a co-founder along with your husband and you help independent insurance agencies solve operations issues. And that takes shape in a lot of different ways. However, you are a complex layered human while you are doing this work. And I love the way that you express those layers of yourself because there is never a surprise when you walk in the room what you're going to get. You're going to get MC a hundred percent of the time. And for some people, they're probably like, no, thanks. We want somebody who's this and that. And the other thing, cause I run into the same thing. There aren't 17 versions of me. There used to be. And that was, it was exhausting. It was impossible to maintain a, like you need a different pair of shoes, depending on who you're going to be that day. It's really challenging. Mm. It's a risk to be that way, right? Because it's not what's being modeled for us in many ways in the industry. And it certainly wasn't what was modeled to me by those who came before me. You must be professional. You must never show your scars. You must never not be the expert who's on top of her game. It's when I wasn't those things that I think the greatest shifts happened for me, not just in my business, but in my own connection to my work. How does that resonate with you? Has that been your experience? What comes up for you? Oh, yes. A lot. So much. <laughs> I've also got my notes. The first time I brought out the notes was during that last bit there because I, congratulations, by the way, on your anniversary of your sobriety. Um, that's very exciting. And it resonates with me big time. I will put it this way. I now am feeling, you know, my, even my work output or what I do and how quote successful I am, right. May not I'm not even trying to compare it to what it was before, but now I am such a happier, <laughs> more whole individual showing up for my consulting and coaching calls with my leggings on, no makeup, with my camera on, mind you, and right, my short hair. I think that's another big thing that symbolically and literally I did this year was in September, I shaved my head right? That was something I never would have ever thought that MC would do. No way. I mean, especially I do have beautiful red hair that, you know, I do cherish. Um, I do. And, you know, I think that was a decision that I totally toiled with. I thought about it um, for a while before actually doing it, probably because even though I wanted to from the moment 
it crossed my mind. Similar to the idea of wanting to start my own business, the moment it crossed my mind, I knew it was going to happen. The reason it didn't happen right away is because of that other side, you know, the side that does want to do things more traditionally and that may enjoy the certainty, the safety, the comfort of being what people expect. And, you know, I am not going to lie too. I'm going to also bring up James Clear again, because I think he, a big part of his habit change mantra is really to surround yourself with or be with people that you are looking to be more like, frankly, right? You know, hanging out with people that aren't all about drinking, for example, or in my case, it was subliminally realizing and looking around the room that I was also around a group of people in my closer circle recently that I think I even had the longest hair out of all of them, you know? And so that makes me even look less brave because it's true, but it helped me to realize even though I may have these notions or these conceptions in my mind, I, you know, I had proof of, like I said before, those around me just exemplifying for me that it's okay, right? That it's it's fine to do the thing that is not what is expected of you. And I think the shedding of that, you know, kind of backpack of society's lies just like loosens you up so much more to be able to be more agile, kind of bob and weave, roll with life's punches, handle the weight of life too. I think that that definitely, you know, I think impacts, it's impacted how I've shown up. I'm definitely opening up the curtain, as you know, too. I can be overly transparent in many ways, which is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. But to be transparent, you know, I also had to ease up on the gas pedal or maybe lower my MCs, my own expectations of what I'm capable of as my own business, you know, my own, um, my own self, frankly, I'm in a consulting partnership with my husband. And so our work life and home life and everything is really intertwined again for the better in my mind. Um, but that can also be really challenging and that is extremely invigorating and exciting, but very daunting, right? Knowing that our household is depending on the success of what I'm, like I said, creatively systematizing, if you will, (laughs) to be ironic and frank, right? Like creative systematizing, that's what MC does. You know, I had to take my foot off the gas pedal because of, you know, also family, personal situations where I needed to be there more for my parent. And that also was a gift in many ways to force me to ease up and say, it's okay if I don't do all the things or reach all the goals that I may have set out for myself um, because I know that's what I'm capable of, right? It's okay to do less. It's okay to do less. And that's another thing that you have somehow exemplified. I don't know, because you do a lot. Like, (laughs) we both, you know, like you are in a lot of places doing a lot of things, but you also... I think that's been something that you've also really been vocal about is how you need to also take that time off or balance or give yourself something to refill your cup. 
And, you know, it's something that right now I have finally started to take so seriously. And I guess in some ways, just being unique can fill your cup too. Taking rest, resting is part of it, but doing the thing that is different than what everyone else is doing is always worth the challenge. I've been personally thinking a lot about my drinking habits too lately. So just because it is such an integral part of my life, it's like one of those things that like, it's complicated, right? It's so complicated. And so thank you for bringing, you know, making the conversation much more of a not taboo thing to talk about. So I'm here for your journey and I love it, Meg. Mm. Really bring it back full circle, right? You're the best. Thank you. And thank you for the compliment baked in there. I don't want to overlook that. Of course. You have an amazing ability to see me when I don't see myself. And that's, uh, thank you for that. The, so the drinking thing is, is really curious. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, I rattled off that list of things that I talk about openly that don't have anything to do with my business. And, you know, people are congratulating me on this, you know, one year of sobriety and they're sympathetic when I'm talking about not being able to sleep because of a hot flash or a night sweat or like, I love that I'm surrounded by such compassionate people, but the reason, Mm. the motivation, why I share those things, the way that I do is because I was a woman once at work with a boss who was being inappropriate because he had had too much to drink. And I had a glass of wine in my hand because that's what I was taught you're supposed to do. And I was wildly uncomfortable and felt wildly unsafe. And so I talk about sobriety because I want there to be a woman out there who hears that message and realizes Mm. if she decides to be the teetotaler, the no fun at a party, the Debbie Downer, whatever label we assign her because she chooses not to participate, that that's okay. And she's not alone. And I just think about loneliness as a theme at different points in my career when I have felt like I was other van. I wasn't as aggressive. I wasn't as loud. I wasn't as assertive. I was to this. I was not enough that. And just how much safety and security there is in knowing that you're not the only one. And so the reason, like, thank you for the congratulations and thank you. I hope, I don't care. Drink if you want to drink, have a nice time. I'm not like my motivation is never judgment or to change minds. It's to let people know that you're not alone and you're, you Mm. can make a different choice and you will be supported. If you do, you'll be supported. If you don't the insurance industry, we love our traditions and we love our bad habits and those are never going to go away, but I will happily be the outlier. If it means that one more person feels a little less. So with that in mind, when you go out on your own and you give yourself a megaphone, you can talk about whatever you want. And that's the beautiful, the beautiful thing about doing what we're doing. It's also the, at times overwhelming part of it too, because so much of what happens in the corporate space is we have, um, you know, like just built in, you've got corporate communications that make sure you don't say certain things and you don't talk out of turn and you don't say things you're not supposed to say. And, and there's all these checks and balances. And when you're on your own, so many of those decisions fall on your shoulders and, and you want to be controversial, but you don't want to be offensive and you want to be, there's just a lot, there's a lot to it. And I find myself you know, when you say you're everywhere, I've been nowhere lately. Like I have been in my little hole, loving my life. And honestly, mantra for 2024, make the most amount of money doing the least amount of work. And I used to apologize for that. Yeah. Apologizing for that anymore. Amen. There is value in what I'm doing. (laughs) Pay me the money. Just, I just went through this. I learned so much about entrepreneurship from my folks. They owned a small business when I was a kid. 
and well into, you know, my adult life, they were wildly successful and and I am grateful for their experience. My dad asked me about the growth of my business and he asked me about my goals for the new year and, and what I thought my revenue might do. And, and it was so hard for me, but I said, it's to do what I did last year. And it was like, but you're supposed to want more. You're supposed to better your best. You're supposed to be on this sort of continuous treadmill or hamster wheel of more and, and wanting more. And I, the reality is I don't want a team. I don't want to have coworkers. I don't want to be responsible for other humans. I don't want to start making decisions from a place of, I have to say yes, because this person needs to get paid in two weeks. I don't want to be busy to the point that I can't catch my breath and that I send myself right back into the same anxiety spiral that caused me to burn out from my last corporate role. I won't do that to myself. I just won't. I also talk with every single one of my clients about boundaries. And if I did not set and uphold my own boundaries, I would be so full of, you know what? I have to, I'm accountable to the whole world. I talk about this all the time. And if I'm getting run over, then I'm not practicing what I preach. And that's really important to me as, as a core value um, in my business. There's so many layers there's so many layers to it, but it is literally one conversation at a time, establishing who you are and what you stand for, building a business that doesn't exist anywhere else, that doesn't make sense to anyone else is this wildly overwhelming, scary thrill of an experience. And it's a lot at the same time. So it, mm, it's fascinating. It's fun to reflect a little bit with you on mm. that. Mm. Absolutely. It is. And I just couldn't underline enough what you really unequivocally stated just then, you know, about what your goals are, what your boundaries are, what you can actually call it many different things, right? Whatever they are to you, it doesn't matter what they are. It doesn't matter what you call them. Mm -hmm. Whatever they are to you is the magic, right? That is how you can build a life that is extremely fulfilling. Personally, you know, I think this is a lot of what you've outlined, not gonna lie, is very in line with myself. Like there is, there was one point in my life where I, again, assumed that being a manager was where all roads lead to, if you will. You know, I studied business in college, business management, I applied to only business management schools out of high school. I couldn't even tell you why, you know, but that was just where it all went. And now you couldn't, you could not pay me enough to be a manager. It's just like, and that's okay. That doesn't mean I don't have ambition, right? Yeah. No, absolutely not. And also just another thing you touched on is good old Papa Bear, right? We love him. We love him and we love what he represents in our lives. To be fair, we don't have the same dad just for all the, <laughs> the proverbial Papa Bear. My dad yes. also, yes. right, is someone who has been, of course, such a cheerleader, right? Someone who is, I'm literally on his shoulders on some days, right? And I would not be literally where I am without him. Yes, and <laughs> mm -hmm. I also do not in many ways see we'll use technical terms, the business world, the way he does. And that's okay. And that's been something that also has been totally part of my own journey of navigating that, which 
again, would not, you know, would not change for the world, would not change that whatsoever. I remember when I first hung the shingle, again, that's a, that's a, something my dad says a lot. When I hung the shingle for MCJ partners, I mean, I literally, like I said, would not be doing it without him in my life in, in the way he had been. But there were still a lot of things about that working relationship back when I started the business that were frankly toxic for me. And I'm sorry, dad, if you're listening, because that's hard to hear, but it was hard for me to realize too. And that's okay. Um, And it wasn't any, it wasn't, it's not meant to paint him in a bad light. It's not meant to be any knock against such an incredible mentor, human being, businessman he is. It just was my lack of boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's on me, right? That's on me. And so through some serious work and effort to really, you know, unpack that and really get to the root of what those boundaries were that maybe I didn't even know what they were. I just knew they were being crossed, right? So you have to do, you know, right? You have to do a lot of that work. Usually you don't do it till it's necessary to figure out, oh, right? Maybe if this and that, 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 and that. Well, okay. If I'm able in now in this situation, when it comes up to do that instead of this, that really will make all the difference. Or maybe you don't even need to do anything as far as he is concerned, right? It's your own internal, it's your own boundary that you're setting. You know, and that's the tough thing about family too, or someone you were that close with, right? It's like, like you had said it and maybe not even realized you said it. You were like, I knew he was thinking that it should be double. You probably never even said that, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like, now we've, now we've had these boundaries and these conflicts that like never even really happened. Um, anxiety, right? Like Mm. we're thinking about and we're worrying about, like, I realized I was doing that to him, right? The pain of the antagonization was also like, not even him. It was like, I was amplifying his little, (laughs) I was like letting his little, little devil get on my shoulder that he wasn't even aware of. Right. And so that's, again, that's life. And that's why there's therapy. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Plus one. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and again, to echo what you said, yes. Um, you know, a beautiful, in my case, not everyone's case. And I, I totally respect that, but a, a relationship rooted in love and care and concern and wanting, you know, the best for me and only good things. And that is, that is such a beautiful motivation. However, when we go off script, things get messy and that's what I did. And it's interesting because when I graduated from college, I had a degree in sociology. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but the job market was good. And I thought about going to grad school and becoming a therapist and didn't. The guidance that I received at the time and I listened to, and and it's, you know, flash forward, it's turned out okay, was to go get a job and start making money. And the best way to make money is in business. And so I started working for an insurance company and 25 years later, here we are. Now, what do I get to do every day? Basically be a therapist. Right. I am not a therapist, but I'm basically (laughs) a therapist. Every single time that I'm in a room of insurance professionals, someone will pull me aside and say, what is your background? Are you a therapist? And so in this beautiful meandering way, it has all come full circle, but it has not been easy. And I realized that there are very specific moments. And I think if anyone is listening and is in a moment or has recently experienced a moment. It is a physical, you feel it in your belly when you are at that point where you are pushing back or you are 
upsetting the apple cart. You are changing the status quo. It is a physical response that our body has in those moments when you make a different choice. And I remember early in the, in the life of my business, probably around the same time that you went through this with your dad, we took a break. He, he was asking me questions about the business and finances and my plan and what I was going to do. And I didn't have answers. It wasn't even that I didn't have the right answers. I didn't have answers at all. And I I wear a lot on my shoulders just naturally. That's how I'm wired. That's how I I take on my own stuff and other people's stuff and strangers' stuff. And like that's mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. I navigate the world. And to feel this pressure and expectation and to be asked these questions that I couldn't answer, it was a lot when I already felt it on my own. And so it wasn't we didn't have a big blowout. That's just not our relationship, but I created a boundary and it was that I wouldn't talk about work until I was ready. And I felt like I had something to share. And so we talked about a lot of other things, but we, that was a hard no for about maybe six months. And then honestly, I had a win in the business. I was really proud and I really wanted to tell him. And so I picked up the phone and I called him and that opened the the door again. However, it is like a it's like a sliding barn door where like sometimes it's wide open and then other times yeah. it's only open Ooh, like, like that. Yeah. It's only open like a quarter of an inch because at the end of the day, the guidance and the support and the direction I will cherish. However, yes. this is mine. This is yes. mine. The business is mine. My life is mine. And all of those things can be true at the same time. And I think, I didn't think our conversation was going to go this way, but I think this father-daughter dynamic in entrepreneurship is a thing. It is a thousand mm. percent a thing. I think it's oh, yeah. probably most often talked about, like you said, behind closed doors with therapists. And yep. I don't know. I don't know that we're solving anything. We never really do on this <laughs> podcast, except to say, if it's a thing for you, it's a thing. It's a right. thing. And, right. and I am fascinated. Mm. We could talk all day. Yes. I love, I just love our conversations. I love the the winding (laughs) path that we take when we're together. Um, In closing to bring this all around. And (laughs) I've asked this question of a few people this season on the podcast. I forget, frankly, to do it. Two questions. Number one Mm. is how can people reach you if they want to learn more about what you're doing? And number two, what is a nugget of wisdom that you would share with your younger self? Well, you can find me. I'll start with yes, that. No, you go can, with the you can question first. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We have um, our own unique little website URL that's kind of fun. So the name of our business is MCJ Partners. I'm the MC and my husband, Craig Aruda is Craig James Aruda. So he's the CJ. Mm-hmm. So MCJ Partners was trying to find a URL and I realized you can have dot partners as your website which is pretty badass. So you can find us at www.mcj.partners. And that has everything you need to get to know me. You can find links to my LinkedIn. You can find everything there. And I would say that my advice to my younger self, mm, mm, honestly, my advice to my younger self would really be simply just, you're going to be okay. Mm. You're going to be okay. Right. You're going to be okay. That's what came to mind. And I love that because of what I was saying before, it may not be, you're going to be awesome. 
right? You're going to be perfect. You're going to be amazing. But you're also, you're not going to be terrible either. You know, it's all going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And that's in some ways extremely comforting because my younger self spent so much time and effort and energy worrying, stressing about all of that stuff that happens anyway, that's like above or below that line. I think it's okay to be okay. It's okay not to be, not to be okay. Just all the things. You're going to be okay. That's what I would say. Mm, that's beautiful. You're beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for being Aww. my friend. Thank you for, oh, just thank you. Th- and thanks for helping mm. us wrap up this season. Hey, my pleasure. You know, it's like a parent having their favorite child, but I mean, every season <laughs> is my favorite season. And I just, of course, um, of course. I'm in awe of the women <laughs> who show up and share their stories so candidly and vulnerably. And I will keep going as long as they keep saying yes. So we will be back. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. You've been listening to Bound and Determined, a podcast supporting the women in insurance, just like you and me. The podcast is presented by Adjunct Advisors, LLC, the quirky insurance consulting firm with the name no one can pronounce that I founded in 2018 after a profound experience with burnout. This year marks my 24th in the insurance industry and my 45th in life. I leverage lessons learned in both in all of the work I do today. Sprinkle on top a little humility, a lot of humanity, and voila, here we are. The best way to stay up to date is via the monthly newsletter I curate, called To Taking the Risk. You can learn more about the newsletter as well as the work I do at adjunctadvisors.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And thanks as always for coming back. I'll see you next time.